0: 23 to 3.6. In addition to your own Bible, you can find it on the back side of the message notes or in the uh, worship Bible, page 714. Please follow along as I read beginning with Mark 2.23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck grains. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is the Word of God.
1: Jimmy, appreciate that very much. How many of you remember the best picture of 1981? The, the movie that won the Oscar for Best Picture from 1981. I'll give you a hint. What? chariots of fire did i do it kind of right i didn't get fit i wasn't done (laughs) you guys do the (laughs) anyway chariots of fire did you like that movie some of you some of you weren't alive when that movie was out but there's a few of us who remember that movie quite well did you like that movie I enjoyed that movie quite, quite a lot. It was the best picture, as I said, in 1981, and it's based upon the, the true story of two runners who competed in the Paris Olympics of 1924. These two runners' names were Eric Liddell and Harold Abrams. And it won, as I said, the best picture uh, and the best original screenplay and all those and a lot of awards uh, back there in 1981. And you know, remember, that movie was about the Olympics, about Eric Liddell. And uh, Eric Liddell was studying. He was a devout Christian, and he was studying. In fact, he ended up becoming a missionary to, to China, and he had a serious problem as he trained for the Olympics. What was it? The races were going to occur on what they called the Sabbath day, the Sabbath day, which in the Christian calendar is is Sunday. And he could not, would not train or compete in any kind of race on the Sabbath day. And so it's that great story of how he changed races so he wouldn't have to compete on that day. And it was just a fun, uh, a fun movie and a a good feel good movie and 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 it's based as I said on on a on a true story. Uh, And but the, the idea of it was that Eric was this man of principle; he would not compete on the Sabbath. And, you know, that's, a, that's such a different time. A lot of you can remember when on the, in the 50s and the 60s and maybe before that when you just didn't do anything on the Sabbath. Now we don't think much about it. Uh, the Jewish Sabbath was always Saturday, uh, but the Christian Sabbath has been typically Sunday, the honoring of the resurrection of, dead, of Jesus from the dead, which occurred uh, on Sunday. That's why we're kind of confused by Jimmy's reading for us today. Jimmy read for us about uh, Jesus doing things which seem to have broken the Sabbath or showed some disregard for the Sabbath. He's uh, walking along the grain field. And his disciples are gathering uh, sheaves, uh, gathering uh, leftover grain while they're walking on the, uh, on, uh, through the Sabbath. Technically, it's not illegal, but according to the culture of the day, it just wasn't done. And Jesus is kind of disregarding some of their conventions. And then he goes and says, you know, the man was not made uh, for the Sabbath. But the Sabbath for a man and the son of a man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He claims some sort of superiority over the Sabbath, and then the text we're actually going to focus on today, we see that Jesus is in the synagogue, and there's a man there with a withered hand, and he asks the question: Is it lawful to do good or harm, to heal or to kill on this Sabbath? No one answers. Jesus is angry. The man is called forward. He steps forward. Jesus says, uh, "Hold out your hand." And uh, when the man holds out his hand, he had a withered hand, and his withered hand became whole. And then the Pharisees go out and uh, so angry that he did a, a work of healing on the Sabbath and desecrated the Sabbath, they decided it was appropriate for them to plan a murder on the Sabbath as they met with it. That's how our, our false ideas, our, our, our wrong thinking can get us thinking just exactly backwards. So we see that there's some odd things about Is this. Is Jesus uh, uh, breaking the Sabbath or, or what's going on here? Uh, let's take a closer look at these stories. And find and ask ourselves, <clears throat> is Mark the guy who wrote this gospel? Does he want to see beneath the surface of this controversy into a deeper and more profound truth? Maybe there's something more subtle going on here. Well, in fact, I think there is. so we 're going to take a look essentially, uh, since we 've already talked about the previous story uh, at, this, uh, at this, uh, this second story, the healing of the man with the withered hand. I think about him as Mr withers. He had the withered hand. And so let's take a look at this Jordan. It's going to be very simple, very brief this morning. Brief. Yeah, you're going to say, "Yeah, right." That's my hope anyway. Uh, straightforward and uh, just take a look at this in three different headings that you can jot down if you want. The first one is this. Let's take a look at, take a look at Jesus and the gospel. That's the first thing if you're taking notes. Jesus and the gospel. If you're new among us, one thing we do at at, at Cowboy Church is we just teach through the Bible consecutively, a paragraph a, at a time. So a few months ago, we decided we start studying the Gospel of Mark, and we've just made our way through it. And that's why we're here in this third chapter. But just to bring you a little bit up to speed, Mark doesn't tell us how Jesus was born like Matthew and Luke do. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark doesn't have a big, long prologue to his gospel like John does. Mark just talks right, a day, right away with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, he fulfilled Old Testament scriptures. He arrived on this scene. He was baptized by John. He went into the desert the, uh, the, the spirit uh, uh, the, uh the the spirit protected against against the devil and then he came announcing the good news of the kingdom so we have John Mark uh, starts with Jesus full bore straight ahead just go here's what he's doing he is sort of uh, 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 uh just startles us with the beginning. Of the gospel, and so we see Jesus in the first chapter just in a, a flurry of activity. There are exciting things happening to him and through him as he goes. As he goes, first of all, he goes along the we can see in the 16th verse and you know, if you have your own Bibles, you might look back. In the first chapter, he calls these four disciples, these swarthy fishermen. He says, follow me. So he's, he's, he's a powerful leader. He's, he's, he's getting people to follow him. And then we see him go uh, in, into, the, uh, into this town of Capernaum, which turned out to be his headquarters. And there's a, he's teaching there on the Sabbath day. And a man is, is uh, 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 stricken, uh, who is stricken with evil spirits, Jesus heals him. Come out of him, he says. The, even the demonic force. Listen to this guy. And then it says in the 29th verse that he goes out and heals people and he preaches around. He just uh, got a huge following. He shows up on the scene uh, announcing the good news of the kingdom. As I said in chapter 1 and verse uh, 14, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. That's the good news, the gospel of God, and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. The gospel we see that jesus seems to be developing almost a political campaign because that's how it would have appeared to them that jesus is coming in the midst of a roman rule and uh, uh the the herodian rule over them and he's saying i've got a campaign the good news is here Repent and believe, follow me, the good news, kind of like a campaigns that we're doing right now, we're gathering followers, trying to get lots of uh, support, and that's happening for Jesus. But as we got into the second chapter, we saw real quickly that not everybody was thrilled with what Jesus had to say. In five consecutive stories, we're in the fifth of them now, we see that Jesus' work evokes controversy. Some of what he does is hard for people to accept. And we've been taking a look at the fact that, really, Jesus always works somehow different than what we expect. One of the great things about being out of doors is we get to hear all the noise, right? Uh, It's one of the benefits, we'd say. Uh, and, And so Jesus often confounds us. And if you never find yourself sometimes confounded by Jesus, you're probably not worshiping the real Jesus because he always calls things into question, and that's what happens. They're having questions about Jesus, and so we see that there's some things about him that are rather surprising, and I'd like to jot down three things about Jesus and the gospel. First of all, Jesus's gospel forgives sin and sinners. Jesus's good news forgives sin and sinners. There's a man brought into the the, the house, probably, I think probably Jesus' house where he is, or maybe Peter's house, he's brought in through the roof, and as he's dropped down, instead of saying, I'm going to heal you, what did he say? I forgive you. You can only forgive someone who's harmed you. What's this mean? What does it mean? Does he, who does he think he is that, that he can forgive sins? That's the question. You know, a lot of times people want uh, the gospel to come for good people. But the Bible tells us the gospel comes to forgive sin and, even better, sinners themselves. Right following this, we see that Jesus is walking along... That this is all in chapter two, verses one to seventeen, we see that Jesus is uh, is walking along by the uh, by the uh, uh, the seashore, and then uh, and there's a lot of people around, and he looks at one guy, a tax collector who was very disrespected in that day, and says Levi, why don't you come and follow me? My goodness, people are surprised, and then he begins to have a, a party with not only Matthew but Matthew his. Levi had another name, Matthew. He's the guy who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Levi has this party, and all of his tax collector and so-called people of ill repute friends all show up. And we see that the the Pharisees, it's the first time that we meet them, they are scratching their head and say, Wait a minute, if this was really a godly man, wouldn't he come condemning those people? Why is he welcoming those people, enjoying food table fellowship with them? Jesus in the gospel forgives sin and sinners. Oh, my goodness. One of the great things to know is that when Jesus' good news comes to us, it comes to cleanse us from our sin. That's good to know. That is, unless you feel you have no sin. (laughs) But if you feel you have some, and I hope you do, because I've, there's never been anybody since Jesus, I think, unless they're in a mental institution who would really claim to be perfect in every way, every thought, every deed. Jesus forgives sin and sinners. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. Well, not everybody was thrilled about it. <laughs> because they, some, there were some people thought they were better than that. And they kind of found their self-identity by putting down other people. Now, that never happens anymore, Right. Oh, it only happens in junior high, right? Which is where it happens the worst, right? But we just get more subtle about that, don't we? Yeah. the Gospel comes and forgives sin and sinners. Those who are willing to admit that they need Jesus are the ones the gospel comes to reach. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus in the gospel. And then the second thing that we see in verses 15 to 28 of this immediately preceding is that Jesus' gospel brings feasting. And freedom, you can put that down if you want. It brings feasting and freedom it 's it's, it's, it's kind of exciting here. it said that he, first of all he 's having a party with these disciples, and, and what 's going on or with these with these taxes they 're just having a good time. Jesus showed how holy it was by who he would hang out with, not by who he wouldn 't hang out with, right? Jesus would even have probably hung out horrors at the buffalo chip. <laughs> I'm just teasing, of course. Uh, and, and it brought feasting. They're having a good time. And in and, 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 and and the, the verse 18, the, the, they come to him and they say, the Pharisees say to them, now why don't everybody else's disciples all fast? They're somber. They're worried about their sin. They're fasting. But your guys are not fasting at all. Your disciples are not fasting. You're having a party. Why are you celebrating? Why are you feasting? Why are you going to... Doug's new restaurant and having dinner out. D- by the way, Doug's got a new restaurant over there uh, called The Bourbon Cellar. Sorry for this quick plug. Just opened it up there on Summit uh, just uh, uh, by uh, Target. Sorry, Doug, but you don't mind, I hope. Yeah, all right. Uh, why are you, what are you doing down there? Don't you know that it has the word bourbon in it? <laughs> you know, they're, they're, what, what's going on? But Jesus said, no, the, there's a bridal party going on. It's time for joy, for feasting. When Jesus comes, He comes to bring joy. But not everybody understood, uh, not everybody understood that as they as they should. Jesus' gospel brings feasting. And then he's walking, they're walking along the uh, the, 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 the fields, and as we read already in the part that Jimmy just read, they're eating the, the grain along the Sabbath day, you know. They weren't, they weren't working. They weren't reaping. They were just walking along, munching as they go. It really wasn't a big deal. It wasn't really against the spirit of the law, but the Pharisees and the devoutly religious people of that day had 39 rules about how to observe the Sabbath and what could do. And this was one of them. You couldn't take any grain. So they had broken that rule, okay? But they had freedom. Jesus said, wait a minute. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. It's okay, all right? And then we see that Jesus' gospel, number one, it forgives sin and sinners number two it brings feasting and freedom number three jesus's gospel brings healing and wholeness healing and wholeness here he is he's in the synagogue and we're seeing and mark as i said has told five consecutive stories he's trying to show this growing controversy that if jesus is the king why is he a king that's different than what i expect that's part of the whole point of it he is a king but he's a king that's going to give his life in suffering for his people laid on his life for his people. And so he's in the synagogue, and he knows there's a man there who's got a physical deformity on his right hand. And Jesus calls him forward, and as you've heard the story read already, he heals him in front of them all. Jesus' gospel brings healing and wholeness, and my goodness, why wouldn't you want in on all of this? Why wouldn't you? Jesus' gospel forgives sin and sinners. Jesus' gospel brings feasting and freedom. Jesus' gospel brings healing and wholeness. This is what's happening. It's breaking all the rules. It's breaking all the conventions. Uh, uh, Jesus is doing things they don't expect. But that's not all of the story. There's a second part to the story, and that is this. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they're named for you in verse 6, but they're present throughout this, uh, this story. The Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, Herodians is spelled H-E-R-O-D, like Herod, Herodians, okay? Uh, like we have Christians, Christians. These were Herodians. They were following followers of Herodians. In any case, we talked last week a fair amount about the Pharisees and what, what, what was so neat about them and, dis, uh, and, and, and difficult about them because they're a lot like us, and we've got to be careful that we don't uh, make some of the mistakes. We want to follow some of the good examples, but not some follow some of their bad examples. So we won't talk a lot, a, a lot about them, but we find that in the midst of this, the Pharisees were very angry, and so too also were the Herodians. What? is going on here well we see three things about jesus's gospel here number one jesus's gospel forgive me for saying it this way because i don't want to offend you but jesus's gospel offends the religious conservative yeah that's what i said that's who the pharisees were they were the religious conservatives of their day they were really eager to protect the moral values from the law. They wanted to teach it. That's why they said if it's wrong to work on the Sabbath, let's talk about every way you can work on it. The, they want to maintain traditional values. Now, please don't throw me out just yet. I'm not done. But, but I may be getting the same treatment that Jesus will get here uh, in that Jesus has a way of calling into account even our deeply held notions. We can begin to worship our ideas about Jesus more than we worship Jesus himself. Now, I think it's good to have devout Christian uh, values based on the Scripture, just like the Pharisees, but that's who these people were. These people were devout. But something about Jesus' way sort of broke through because these people had built their sense of righteousness on their good deeds, They had the idea that somehow God would be impressed by how well they kept the law, how good they lived their life, how, 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 how carefully they followed the precepts. They thought that they were on some sort of a merit plan with God. They thought that they would uh, develop a relationship with God by being good. And so they tried to be as good as they could. And they tried to get everybody else to be as good as they could get them to be. And they didn't realize that a relationship with God is not because you are good, but what? Because God is graceful. God has reached out to us. Just as the, the sinner on the side of the street, we might say, needs God, so too does the religious man. Remember? Can you remember? It's so hard. So too are the people who try to honor the Bible rules, try to do the Bible things, do the stuff. You see, the gospel is, says, has this word repent in it, and it didn't just mean all of you bad people repent. We don't just repent of our badness. This is the harder part. We repent even of our goodness because we are mistakenly thinking that somehow that goodness earns me brownie points with God. That God's got his ledger list and he's seeing if I have enough good deeds to get past the grade. You see, that's not the gospel. Jesus came offering grace, just sort of spilling it out over everybody. It was available to everybody on the outside of the party too, but they didn't want to admit how much they needed Jesus. They thought Jesus needed them. (laughs) No, they needed him. So please don't throw me out here. But remember that the gospel calls everything into account for us. We've got to let go of our righteousness. The apostle Paul, if you remember from the Bible, learned this the hard way, didn't he? He was a Pharisee just like these guys. For all we know, he could very well have run into Jesus sometime during the course of his ministry. No doubt he must have known about him but he was like all these guys he thought jesus was wrong and so but the apostle paul had a dynamic experience one day while trying to stamp out christianity when jesus appeared to him on a road on a road to damascus and he realized that this story about jesus's resurrection wasn't a fiction it was true that jesus not only had died but had been raised from the dead he saw him himself his world was changed and that's why when he wrote a letter to a city of christians a community of christians who lived in a town called philippi he said, I will not boast about anything except Christ and what Christ has done for me. He talked about his religious pedigree, that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, that in terms of following the law, he was faultless. This is found in Philippians chapter 3. You can look at it if you want. But then he said, but whatever was gained to me, those things I considered lost for the sake of knowing Christ, and I consider all things as lost, and treat them as for the dunghill. You know what goes on the dunghill, don't you? That's what he saw. See, he had learned to repent of his goodness. Now, I'm not saying he started to be a bad guy, but he began to be a good guy for very different reasons. Not in order to gain God's favor, but out of gratitude for God's favor already given through Jesus. He said, I want to know Christ. The power of his resurrection and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is by the law, but that which is by faith in Jesus Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that I might attain with him the resurrection of the dead. Philippians 3, 7 through 10, give or take. Okay? So, yes, the gospel can offend the religious conservative because we can get so attached to our goodness that we forget even that needs to be laid down so that we can receive the grace. They had a hard time with that. But also, number 2, the gospel offends the political liberal. Some of you might like that one a little better. Those were the Herodians. They were the Herodians. They are not mentioned but just a couple of times in Scripture and then in other literature rarely by Josephus and others. These were people who were Jewish people who said, Hey, God's put the Herodian government in here. Are the, you know, the, the, the Romans ha, has, Rome has put the Herodian, the Herods in here, and we need to just go along to get along. This is the way it's going. Uh, we'll hang on to whatever religious traditions we can, but we just need to kind of go with the flow. If, by the, and so we would say this way, if the government says that the, this is okay, it must be okay. Th- does that ever happen today? You didn't know that that happens today? And so they just went along, and everybody thought, what are you doing, going against it? And so they were the Herodians. What's odd, and and these people, somehow they were offended by Jesus' message too, because Jesus called them to repent. Now, repent doesn't necessarily mean cry and be shameful. It means to have a change of mind and a change of direction, to have an utter change you see, to make an about face before they're thinking this. And if they were religious at all, these Herodians, they just thought this is the way God's working. He's working through our government. It's what he's done all along. And he's continuing to do that. Sound familiar? And that's what, what so we have. What's, and so we have both the religious conservatives and the political liberals. They're both offended by Jesus. That's why I say if Jesus doesn't offend you sometimes, you may have a paper Jesus you drew. Not the real one. Because you can't have a real relationship with a real person without sometimes being a little bit upset with that person, right, husbands, wives? It's just the way that it is. And that relationship changes us, challenges us in, in good ways, not just bad ways. And Jesus is calling it to, saying you know, all the time, calling to question various things and, and helping us to stop worshiping our ideas and worshiping our idols. Anyway, so Jesus offends the religious conservative he offends the political liberal but in both cases he offers the good news of the gospel right repent and believe it and thirdly as a result of all this jesus's gospel offends the hard-hearted yeah he comes right those of us who've got everything just figured out as if you know uh we can make up our own ideas about god and that's what it is you know that's just who i am no you can't do that if god is real god is god and you aren't you better better find out what he's about but what does jesus say you see in verses it says um they it says he's in the synagogue there's a man with a withered hand there and they watch jesus to see whether he would heal him on the sabbath so he can see he's being tested right and you wonder whether maybe the crowd's a little bigger that day because there's more Pharisees there. They see this withered man hand there. They're looking around, and they're saying, and it says, and he says to the man of the withered hand, come here. And he said, is it lawful for on the Sabbath to do good or to harm or to save life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked about at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Oh, Jesus was grieved at their hardness. Why? Because he hated them? No, because he loved them. You know, you've had situations where you have to talk to a teenager or a spouse or an employer or an associate or an employee, and you see that they're making decisions and choices that are ruining their lives. You see that. And you want to talk to them, and you get so angry, not at them, but at what their choices are doing to them, right? And you would just want to somehow shake them a little bit. That's the kind of thing. Can't these people see that this is not the way the gospel is supposed to go? Because what's really crazy about this is you saw after this healing occurred, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. There's two absolutely flabbergasting things in here to me. The first is this Pharisees and Herodians hated each other. They did not like each other at all, but they found a common enemy in Jesus, right? The, the, the liberal on the one side, the conservative on the other, the religious on the one side, the irreligious on the other, they all found Jesus so offensive that they said, let's, let's figure out this guy's bad for us. Of course, the Herodians thought he was bad because he's calling to question, who's the real king? It's Caesar and Herod, Right. And and the Pharisees are upset because he's tearing down their whole foundation of this little structure they're building that's going to build their way to God. And he's saying it's not about that at all. So this is troubling in both cases. They begin to come together with a combination. That's the first thing that's flabbergasting. uh, I find flabbergasting about that. The other is that what are they doing? They're holding counsel how to destroy Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Jesus has just called him out and said, you know, the Sabbath is a day for rest, for recuperation, for wholeness. It's a gift from God to say, you don't have to work every day of your life. Take a rest like I do. There's a sense of completion. Everything has to take a rest. In fact, you know, you cannot not take a rest, can you? You'll fall asleep at some point. Jesus knows we need to be told. So the, God, the, the, the scriptures tell So it's for recuperation, for, for renewal." What could be more Sabbath-ish than having your withered hand made whole on the Sabbath? Right? Wholeness, recuperation. Jesus says, is it lawful to do good or ill? You know, he opens and they are so angry to see him do that thing on the Sabbath that what do they do? They feel totally righteous and justified and like they're honoring God when they hold a little meeting after church that day. No meetings, please, I hope. And they're going to gather how to get rid of this guy. They're planning a murder on the day of the Sabbath because they saw a man healed on the Sabbath. Crazy. You and I never do crazy things like that, do we? Oh, yeah. It's easy to get so caught up, so angry, not hear the truth. And so let's close by looking at who I call, you can put this down, forgive me for doing this, Mr. Withers and me. Mr. Withers with the withered hand. Mr. Withers is there that day. He doesn't have a name, so I just made one up for him. And he's there in the synagogue that day. He has no idea what's going to be happening to him that day. (laughs) He's just there. And as any of you who have had any kind of difficult situation, or just let's say, just say you forgot to use deodorant one day, like you know, Kevin often forgets, yeah, so <laughs> you kind of want to blend in. You don't want anybody to notice you, you are going to hide out behind, right? Sorry, Kevin, but um, or or you forgot to shave oh, hmm, <laughs> Okay, yeah, there will be a brief meeting. He's there, and he's learned all the time to probably keep his one arm. not You know how that goes, right? And here he is, and all of a sudden, he's being called out. Now, we know how the story goes, but he doesn't know how it's going to go. He says to a man with a withered hand, come here. So imagine, I won't do this, but I'm going to pick on Cheryl, because imagine I'm just doing all this, and it's Cheryl, come here. Now, I know Cheryl well. She'd probably be willing to do that. But at first, you say, Why is he calling me up? Right? And this guy's being called before everyone. And then Jesus asks this rhetorical question while he's standing there with his hand, however it is, misshapen it is. And Jesus asks, What's the right thing to do on a day like today? How does he feel? How does he feel? You know? And then Jesus says, Stretch out your hand. Jesus doesn't touch him, as far as you know. Then do any hocus-pocus. Just says, put your hand out. Puts his hand out. Oh, I felt a flutter in my heart when I said it. All of a sudden, wholeness comes to Mr. Withers. His hand is healed because of the word of Jesus. That's you and me today, Mr. and Mrs. Withers, somehow. All of us need the healing touch of Jesus. How do you find that? Well, there's three things I see in this text, and we'll say it just quickly as we close. Number one, I must need Jesus. There's, you know, you need to need Jesus. Um, this man had a need. He knew he had a need. A lot of us in churches or not in churches, or we don't know we have a need. That's why sometimes hard times make us realize how much we do need Jesus, right? You got to know you need Jesus. That was the problem with the Pharisees and the Herodians. They didn't think they needed Jesus but you do, you do, you do. You're withering maybe on the outside, it may be on the inside, it may be in your head because of things you believe to be true about yourself, maybe in your past, it may be because of things you've done to people in the past where you know there's been damage that is done, their regrets that you have, whatever they are, the gospel of Jesus, remember I said, it forgives sin and sinners, it brings feasting and freedom to those who are chained, it brings healing and wholeness to those who are sick, it brings goodness to all of us we need to know that we need him mr withers knew he needed jesus and sometimes we respectable types don't know that we need jesus and that's our problem mr withers and me i must need jesus number two i must hear jesus he's sitting there last thing he wants is to be noticed and and then jesus says come here (laughs) what come here there's about three different stories I would like to tell you, but, you know, you have other things to do today where Jesus does similar things like this, where he goes to, you know, a woman who's had a bleeding issue for a long period of time. Who touched me? She stands up, right? And, and, and in another time, a woman, in a very similar story, she's in church with her all bent over back, and she says, stand up. Oh, my goodness. So this is not uncommon. Jesus calls us. We must hear him. Do you ever hear him calling you? Maybe you hear him today. Yeah. I must know I need him. I must hear him. But there's a third thing I must come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. What if the man in the seat had said no? He would have left with his pride intact and his hand hurt. We must come to Jesus. And in this gospel already, we see that Jesus is walking along by the seashore. He sees some fishermen, James and John and Peter and Andrew, follow me. And they follow him, right? And he sees a guy by a tax booth, his name's Levi, says, follow me. And they followed him. And he says to this man, come here. And he comes. What's the story? No matter what Jesus has done, until you're willing to come to him, you won't receive the benefit that he wants to give to you. So to close our time here today, I want to invite you to join me in saying, Jesus, I come to you just as I am. I come to you. You know, the gospel story tells us this story that Jesus ultimately gave his life, took upon himself our sin, our shame, our brokenness, our hurt, our need for forgiveness. He took all of that on himself. And the Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So I invite you, respond to this great good news. Receive the forgiveness and the feasting and the healing and the wholeness that Jesus wants to give you. Don't be hard-hearted and think you don't need him. Hear his voice like Mr. Withers did and know you need him. Hear him call you, but he will not make you come. You must come. So as we close, I invite you in your own heart to come to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, We're so grateful and thankful that your good news is for all of us, Pharisees and Herodians, tax collectors and broken people, women and men, children and adults, slave and free, Democrats and Republicans, white and black, Americans and South Americans, Chinese, It's for all of us, educated, uneducated. Lord, I pray that some of us today would hear you and that we would then come to you. If you want to come to Jesus, just simply say to him, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you that you've invited me to sit at the table with you. Thank you that you gave your life for me. I trust in you. Here's my withered hand, make it whole. Make me whole. Thank you for bringing me into your family, and I will follow you no matter where through the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray.